Will God still love me if dot, dot, dot? That is the title of our new series that we're starting today. And today we're going to talk about, will God still love me if I mess up? I mean, we can mess up in many ways. And so today we are talking about a very specific way of messing up. A way which is almost universally frowned upon when people mess up in this way. We are talking about what if I mess up due to sexual sin? Mm. Good morning, church. Everyone here, everyone online, good to be together again. Amen. Uh, well, last week, we, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. And, and we spoke about this supreme being, how great he is. He is the exact image of God. He created everything. He was before creation, and he will exist forevermore. He is above every power and every authority. He keeps us alive. He sustains the universe. And those who follow him will live with him forever in the new heaven and new earth. <laughs> wow. What a wonderful being. But then, after talking about the, how wonderful this Jesus of ours is, we kind of had to take a harsh and hard look at fallen humanity. Humanity is sick. They rejected and killed him. In spite of the fact that he rose from the dead, never to die again, and in spite of the fact that he offers forgiveness and restoration to humanity... There is still so much evil that prevails in the world today. History is packed with evidence, and so is your daily news broadcast, isn't it? Humanity is sick. But throughout the last 2,000 years, there have been a growing number of people who have chosen a different path. It's not an easy path. But they have decided to follow Jesus and his teachings. They have decided to live by his rules. And they are trying to develop a character very much like his. It's a process. It's a journey. And to those who have chosen this path, Jesus declares them blameless before the Father. That is, Jesus declares them pure and sinless before the Father. And we have been singing about it today, about God's reckless love, great love for us. The fact that we can declare, I am a child of God. I can do that because of what Jesus has done. That is good news. That is the gospel. And many have experienced the joy of knowing that they are forgiven and accepted as a child of God. It is good to know that God loves us. In this church and in churches around the world, many of us can testify to changed lives. Some of us were in a deeper level of sin than, in, than others, but all of us, one way or the other, can testify, hey, God has saved me. God has changed me. All that. Through what the work of Jesus. 
The reality is that Jesus is still in the process of changing lives. The Bible says that God so loved the world, meaning you and I, okay, that he gave Jesus to pay the price for our sins so that anyone who believes in Jesus will not be separated from God eternally, which is spiritual death, but be with God forever and have eternal life. Hallelujah. God is love. Does God love me? Does God love you? <laughs> and it may be easy to give the standard answer to these questions, but what happens? What happens when you follow Christ? When you know what His will is, and you know what the Bible says, concerning your behavior and your conduct. You know what God wants you to do, how He wants you to conduct yourself. You know what is right and what is wrong in the eyes of God. All right? There's a difference between what the world says is right and wrong and what God says is right and wrong. A lot of the things that God says is wrong, <laughs> the world says is right. And some things the world says is wrong, God says it is right. So you want to follow God's will. You know God's will, what is right and what is wrong. You want to be a good follower of Christ. And then one day you are tempted and you fall. What now? Does God still love me? Hmm? One day you are overwhelmed by your emotions or by your circumstances. Or you are influenced by your friends or, or by the media. And you break God's laws. You depart from His ways. And you say or you do something which is completely against God's will. Ugh. Am I still a child of God? Does God still love me now? And so in this series, we are going to look at a couple of scriptures where men and women who were people of God did things or felt things that they were not supposed to do or to feel. We will look at how the Lord dealt with these issues. And we'll find out if God still loves us when we don't feel that we should be loved by God. There are times in your life where you will experience something, go through a season, go through a phase, and you're going to ask yourself, you're going to question yourself, does God still love me? Because I've gone through this, I've experienced that, I'm feeling this, or I've done that. And you will feel that you're not worthy of God's love. Does He still love you? And in this series, we're going to look at some of these situations. We start today by asking the question, will God still love me if I mess up? And we will look at one of the worst ways which we can mess up. We will look at someone who messed up due to sexual sin. Many things are frowned upon in society, but some things are more frowned upon than others. And we, we live in a, in, a, in a world today which is very liberal. I'm talking about sexually. It's very liberal, the world we live in today. And this liberalism is creeping into the church as well. Today, there are many Christians who do not frown upon sexual sin. They have been conditioned by the media and by the 
current Western culture to think that if it is consensual, it is okay. If boy and girl agree, it's okay. If two people agree, it's okay as long as they agree. It's become the norm these days. If both parties agree, it's okay to have sex, even if you're not married. It has become the norm that after a few dates, if you like each other, you have sex. It has become normal for unmarried people to live together as if they were married, with no commitment towards one another. A few decades back, all this would be frowned upon by society. But today, society does not care. As long as they consent, as long as they are happy, it's okay. But church, it is not okay. It is not okay. It's not okay according to God's rules. And it is also not okay when you find out all the heartaches associated with this kind of lifestyle, which the media never addresses. The movies and the soapies never talk about the heartaches which comes when people live like this. These things are found out in the counseling rooms and in the offices of the doctors and psychologists. Sex is not bad. Listen carefully. Sex is not bad. When God created man and woman and brought them together, God said it was good. In fact, he said it was very good. He created everything. It was good, 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 good. Then he created man alone. He says, no, that's not good. And so he created woman. He puts both of them together. And then he says, no, that is very good. And that very good included sex. <laughs> there are biblical principles that govern the practice of sex. And these are there for the protection of the individuals. What we see today is an abuse of sex. Sex is used as a marketing tool. And sex is used to objectify women. Have you noticed that? You, you don't find half-naked men in pictures to sell cars because half-naked men don't sell cars. But half-naked women do. Women are being objectified as objects, as things. And society is kind of falling for that. So from the beginning, God set rules that govern sex to protect sex and to protect individuals. First, what the Word of God says is that sex is to be between a man and a woman within the security of the covenant of marriage. And then as God raised a nation to himself, the Jewish people, the people of Israel, God gave them laws through Moses that would protect individuals, would protect the marriage, and would protect the nation from the harm which could come through the abuse of sex. From the beginning, the devil has been working to destroy everything God has created, and that includes sex and sexuality. The devil wants to destroy marriages to destroy individuals, to destroy nations. And he often uses sex as the bait and the tool to do this. Just look around, church. Look around in the news. Even people falling in the church, very often it is sex. 
The other big thing is money or manipulation, but sex is always there. The devil is using it to destroy. Today's scripture is a well-known passage. It is the encounter of Jesus with a woman caught in adultery. It is significant that this is a particular sexual sin included in the gospel. There are many kinds of sexual sin. Adultery is only one of them. But it's interesting that adultery is the one that is chosen to be in the gospels. Adultery was considered in Jewish culture as amongst the worst sin that anyone could commit. You have to think back now, what, as I'm going to read the story just now, I want you to think back of what the people were thinking that were involved in the story. And in first century Jewish culture, sex was about the worst kind of sin that it could be. Adultery, or adultery was the worst kind of sin that you could uh, partake in. Adultery destroyed marriage. Adultery created unwanted children. Individuals caught in adultery were considered dirty and impure. This sin was so serious that it was considered a crime punishable by death. Wow. This was serious stuff, guys. And this is the situation that was brought to Jesus. Our scripture today comes from John chapter 8, verses 2 to 11. John 8, 2 to 11. I'm not going to read the whole passage because the story is very familiar to us. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus was in Jerusalem for that feast, for that week. And he was teaching in the temple, in the temple courts. This was about six months before Jesus was crucified when this feast took place. He would return later for the Passover feast, and that's when he would be caught and crucified. So the Pharisees and teachers of the law did not like what Jesus had to say. They really did not like the teachings of Jesus. And they were looking for ways of catching him, of finding fault in his teaching, so they could accuse him and, and disregard him. And this is what happened that day. Jesus is in the temple. He's teaching. There's a, a crowd of people around him, and he's teaching them. <clears throat> and so, suddenly, the, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they bring this woman to him, a woman that was caught in the act of committing adultery. So this is a married woman. Probably she had kids, and she was caught. And of course, the first question that comes to mind is, why did these guys only bring the woman? It takes two to tango, you know. Where was he? Well, maybe he was a fast runner, and they couldn't catch him. I don't know. The fact is, they bring her. And they bring her to Jesus. And they bring her as, as, as this dirty rag, and they bring it before the crowd. And they say, Master, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. According to the law of Moses, she should be put to death. Now, what do you say, Jesus? Now, put yourself in first century Jewish culture. From small, you've been taught that certain sins, certain practices, if you are caught in it, you die. Maybe you knew two or three people in your village who were stoned to death because maybe they did something like this woman did. It is part of you. When you hear a certain sin, you go, Sis, man, 
must get rid of this person. Doesn't belong in our society. Too dirty. I'm asking you to think first century, not 21st century. 21st century thinking is, so what? But you're thinking back first century. And so, they bring it to him and says, Jesus, what do you say? All right? They're trying to trap Jesus for some reason. Now, this woman, she's a Jewish woman. She belongs to the people of God. She knew the law. She knew what is right and what is wrong. Furthermore, as we'll see later, she had heard of Jesus and she believed in him. But somehow, something happened and she failed. She messed up. She put her husband and her children in jeopardy. She put her own life at risk for the sake of a moment of pleasure. And isn't that what all sin is about? Tricking you to drop your standards, drop your models, drop your values for a moment of pleasure. Whether it is the pleasure of sex, the pleasure of having power, the pleasure of popularity, the pleasure of having lots of money in your pocket. For that moment of pleasure, some people will deny their values. Without thinking of the consequences. And so, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they were actually right. This woman messed up. According to the law of Moses, she must die. And so, you know, she must, must remove the shameful person from society. So if according to the law, the teachers are right, why are they bringing her to Jesus to try and trick him? How could they possibly trick Jesus, cause him to stumble in this situation? It's such a simple situation. She broke the law. She deserves to die. Finished. Why did they bring her to Jesus? How could they trap him with this situation? I want to propose two ways in which they could trap Jesus. Listen to me. First one is this. The Jews at this time, first century, the Jews were under the Roman law, Romans ruled. And now the Romans, they allowed the Jews to practice their religion. They could practice their religion. They could have all the temple festivals. They could do all the sacrificing of animals. It was okay. There's one thing the Romans did not allow. Anything that had to do with Jewish law that involved executing people, the Jews could not do it. Execution belonged to the Romans only. And that is why when they found fault in Jesus, they brought Jesus to the Romans so that the Romans would accuse him and crucify him because the Jewish people could not execute. Only Romans could execute. And so they bring this woman to Jesus. Jesus, she deserves to die. And now they're waiting for Jesus. <laughs> yeah, we got him. Why? Because if Jesus says, boys, you are right. The law of Moses is holy. We, 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 we believe that. That's our law. Go ahead, stoner. If he said that, they would say, ha-ha. They'd run to the Romans and say, hey, Jesus is breaking the Roman law. He agreed to stone a woman when he knows he shouldn't be doing it. 
and Jesus would be in trouble with the Romans. If Jesus said, no, 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 you mustn't stone her, then they would say, ha-ha, you are turning against the law of Moses. You're a false teacher. You're a false preacher. You're not one of us. And then Jesus would be in trouble with all the Jews. They had Jesus in a corner, didn't they? They put the situation before him, and no matter what Jesus says, he's going to be in trouble. Either with the Romans or with the Jews. That is one way in which they're trying to trap Jesus. The other way is this. By this time, remember this is now six months before Jesus, uh, Jesus died, and so by this time, he, he was known, and he was known as being that guy, that teacher, that would hang around sinners. He would have dinners, you know, in the house of, of tax collectors. He'd be surrounded by sinners and prostitutes and all the people in the you know, skirtings of society, the fringes of society, they would hang around Jesus. In fact, he was known as the friend of sinners. And he had said himself that he did not come to call the righteous, but the unrighteous to repentance. So he had this fame of, he's a friend of the, those guys. You know, those guys, he's a friend of those guys. And, and those people had really warmed up to Jesus. They would come to him, they would, they would listen to him. They found in Jesus a friend, a teacher, who understood them and who spoke into their lives. And so they bring those women. Jesus, <laughs> you're, you're a friend of sinners, right? So here it is, there's a sinner before you. We caught her in the act. She deserves to die. What do you say? And now they're waiting. <laughs> so Jesus says, he's a friend of sinners, right? If he says, kill her, we're going to call him a hypocrite. So it's nice to hang out with sinners when they're feeding you, right? When you're having parties. But the minute they make a mistake, you judge them like everybody else. If Jesus said, don't stone her, they'd go back to, to the previous reason. Aha! You don't believe in the law of Moses. So now, Jesus would be in trouble with two groups of Jews. All the Pharisees and teachers of the law and the sinners which he was friends with. So no matter what he chose, he's going to be in trouble with one group or the other. And so, these guys thought, ha ha! We have him. We have him cornered. We have him trapped. So, guys, what do you do when you are cornered? What do you do when, when people put a situation before you that you don't know which way to go? No matter what you say, you are going to be wrong. You know what you do? Listen from Jesus. You do nothing. <laughs> Just kneel down. Ah. And doodle in the sand. <laughs> and, and I love the story. You know, it, it, it's actually tragic because, I mean, the woman wasn't finding this funny at all, okay? But when I look at the whole picture, I, I, I'm kind of amused. Because there comes these teachers of the law. They want Jesus to give an answer. Come on, Lord, say something, say something, say something. And Jesus go. And some of you are saying, come on, get on with it, pastor. I want to go home and have lunch. <laughs> come on, pastor, say something. Carry on with the message. I'm getting bored here. 
those Pharisees, come on, Jesus, say something already. Come on, do something. And now, I wish I knew what Jesus was writing in the sand. Huh? And one could maybe speculate, but we're not going to go there today, okay? Because the gospel says nothing about it. And so let's leave it at that. But he was doing something. We wrote something there which kind of must have caught somebody's attention. So they continue. Jesus, say something. And so after a while, Jesus gets up and he looks at these guys. And we're reading verse 7, John 8, verse 7. Jesus finally speaks. They kept demanding an answer. So Jesus stood up again and said, All right. You want a stoner? All right. Stoner. But, but, let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. You see, Jesus also knew the law, of course. And he knew that whoever sinned, whoever was, was caught in sin, had to be stoned. But Jesus also knew that the law said that the person who caught the sinner had to be the first one to throw the stone. The first stone had to be thrown by the witnesses, the people who saw the sinful act. Only then could the rest of the people follow in the stoning. And so, Jesus, knowing this, he says, okay, you guys caught her in the act. Go ahead, stone her, but, but, only if you have never sinned. <laughs> Did you hear that? He didn't say, okay, whichever one of you caught her in the act, you can throw the first stone. No, that was what normally would be done. He says, no, whoever of you has never sinned, meaning whoever of you has never committed a similar act, in deed or in thought, go ahead. If you have never looked at your neighbor's wife and desired her, if you have never looked at another woman and lusted after her, remember he's talking to men now, okay? The Pharisees and the teachers, they're all men. So he's talking to him. And what he's implying is this. If you guys have never lusted after somebody else, because sin is sin. Whether you practice it or desire it, it's sin. So go ahead and do it. If you've never committed any other sin, you've never cheated anybody, you've never lied, you've never broken any of the laws which you're so fussy about, If you've ever broken any law, and you know yourselves, I, I know that you were not caught maybe, but did you break it? See, because the problem back in those days wasn't so much breaking the law, was getting caught breaking the law. And so Jesus told them, okay guys, boys go ahead, but only <laughs> if you've never done this, if you've never sinned, never a sin. And the guys understood this. And so he gave this command. Here she is. If you've never sinned, throw the first stone. And then he bends down again and he continues. And it's very, rather amusing 
what comes next. It's unexpected, but look at verse 9. John 8, verse 9. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away. They kind of, excuse me, slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. You catch that? Beginning with the oldest. Until only Jesus was left, left in the middle of the crowd, the people that were there before, listening to him teach. Jesus and the woman were left. These accusers, these Pharisees, they're gone. Beginning with the oldest. Can I, can I ask a question? Now, guys at home, you're welcome to raise your hands as well because I'm actually watching you guys. There's a camera in your device and I can see you. So just, no, I'm joking. <laughs> if you are 65 and older, raise your hand. Let's see. If you are, come on. If you are 65 and older, right, there you go. There's a couple of us here. All right, thank you. Put your hands down. If you are 25 and younger, lift your hands. Oh, there's a couple of you guys as well. <laughs> All right. Now, let me ask you. It's a complex question, but think it through. Young people, as young as you are, you know you've done some naughty things. You know you've, you've sinned, okay? And of course, you're over 65. You know you've sinned, okay? So let me ask you this. Here's a 25-year-old and under. Here's a 65 and over. Which one of these two has the bigger pile of sins, the 25 or the 55? (laughs) What? (laughs) 55. Why? Because the longer you live, the more the stuff piles up, isn't it? Life happens. You encounter situations. You encounter disappointments. You encounter challenges. Things happen to you, through you, because of you. And, and, and sometimes we lose it. Sometimes we say what you shouldn't say, we do what you shouldn't do. Sometimes circumstances lead us down paths that we shouldn't have gone. And so the longer you live, the more you can look back and say, ay, 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 ay. And that's exactly what happened over here. When Jesus says, hey, you've never sinned. Go for it. The older guy says, oh, count me out. I've said, not me. I'm gone. <laughs> The younger guys, because you younger people can be so arrogant sometimes because, you know, you know everything, you know, especially in your 35s to, uh, 25 to 30. I know I was there, okay? And there was a stage in my life where I just knew everything when I was young. Now I don't know so much anymore, but anyway. And so those young guys, you know, no, 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 maybe, I, I, yeah, I think I'm ready. Oh, they know. oh, no, wait a minute. I, oh, yeah, me too. And so eventually, eventually the young guys are also gone. Why? Because the Bible is very clear, and we're going to get to it a little bit later. The Bible says that everyone has sinned. We all have sinned. None of us have reached God's glorious standard. So stop pretending. These guys, they came to Jesus as self-righteous, arrogant fools. Trying to say they are better than anybody else because I'm a Pharisee. I am a teacher of the law. I haven't sinned as bad as this one has. Have you noticed how we like to compare ourselves to each other? Huh? What is your sin? Ah, man, your sin is like this. Mine is only like this, man. (laughs) I only thought of doing it. You actually did it. Ay, 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 ay. In the meantime, 
To God, sin is sin. So finally they go up and they disappear and Jesus eventually stands up and he asks the woman where the accusers are. He says that not even one of them condemn you. I want you to notice something in verse 11, John 8, 11. The woman says, no, Lord. And Jesus says, neither do I. I also don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And I want us to pause and, and, and take this scene here now, okay? The people are watching. The woman is vulnerable. She's guilty. She has been ashamed, and, and she's full of shame. She has no idea of what's going to happen, and is expecting the worst. Perhaps at that moment, standing in the temple of God, she was probably asking herself, does God still love me? I am one of the people of God, and now I've done this. Can God still love me? Does God still love me? Look at what I've done. The crowd that Jesus was teaching in the beginning, they there, they, they've been following this, following this whole thing moment by moment. This, this exciting action of, yeah, what's going to happen? They, they're observing this whole thing and learning and, and wondering what's going to happen now. But Jesus gets up. He looks this woman into her eyes. And I'm sure his look was a look of love and compassion. He doesn't scold her. He doesn't say, oh, you dirty sinner. You know this is wrong. Why did you do it? No. He looks at her with love and compassion. He does not talk down to her. He talks to her as a fellow human being. And he says, I don't accuse you either. Earlier in the Gospel of John in chapter 3, we read that Jesus said that he did not come to condemn the world. He didn't come to accuse the world. But he came that through him, the world might be saved. And right here now, he's living this out before this woman and before this crowd. But the fact that Jesus doesn't con does not condemn her does not mean that he condones her behavior either. He is very clear. He says, go and sin no more. Jesus saved her life. Jesus showed her that God still loves her in spite of her sin. Jesus treated her with dignity in front of a crowd of people who would probably be quite happy to treat her like dirt. Remember, all these guys watching, they're all Jews. They've all been following the law. They're all ready to apply the law. So maybe their first reaction when they heard the Pharisees accusing her, maybe their first reaction is, she's guilty. Not, not even, don't even have to think about it. And now they're watching this turn of events. And Jesus, of course, the one who helped her keep his command to go and sin no more. Let me say this about this passage. It might look at first glance that those who wanted to accuse Jesus are the ones who brought the woman into his presence. But remember, nothing in the life of Jesus happened randomly. Jesus came for a purpose, and everything in his life served a purpose. So I wonder, what if it was 
divine providence that organized for this woman to come before Jesus that day. You see, because if instead of bringing this woman to Jesus, they had taken her to the Sanhedrin, she would have been treated very differently. But no, she was brought to Jesus. And she had a conviction of who Jesus was. Somehow she knew about Jesus, and she knew who he was, and she believed in him. How do I know that? Did you hear how she answered Jesus? Back to, to, to verse, uh, verse 11. She says, no Lord. Remember when the, when the Pharisees came and the teachers of the law? You remember they called Jesus? They said, teacher. Because that's the role you're performing there. But not this woman. She calls him Lord. That's a heavy word in Hebrew. You don't go, go around calling people Lord. Today we do. In, 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 the, in the British culture, it's Lord this and Lord that. And Lord has kind of lost its meaning. You go to God, oh my Lord. But here, first century, the word was loaded. And the Bible says that no one will say that Jesus is Lord except by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Remember Thomas? He didn't believe that Jesus had raised from the dead, but when he saw Jesus, what did he say? Oh, my Lord and my God. It's a Holy Spirit conviction. So this woman believed in Jesus. She knew about him. But I wonder what was going in her mind when she answered that. Perhaps in her mind she was thinking, he is Lord, but he's still my Lord. No man has accused me, but what will Jesus say? Because ultimately I've got to give an account to the Lord. And so when she answers, no, Lord, perhaps it was an unhesitant, no, Lord, in her mind wondering what's going to come out out of all this. She's calling him Lord, but she's probably wondering, are you still my Lord? Am I still acceptable to you? And the answer comes from Jesus. Neither do I accuse you. Go, sin no more. Man, what a relief. New life, a new beginning, hallelujah. Now listen, guys, I know that sex is a complex topic and one can have long discussions about sexual sins, but uh, we're just talking about this case today. And this case shows Jesus dealing with what was and still is considered one of the most serious of sexual sins because of its destructive power. It is bad when it happens in the world, and it is worse when it happens in the church. But the fact is that Jesus does forgive us and find us worthy even after we have sinned sexually. His forgiveness is open to all of us. He forgives and commands us to live a different life. And in this passage, Jesus seems to have looked away from the specific type of sin that the woman had committed and considered it one of many types of sins. That's why he said, if you guys have not sinned, go for it. <laughs> to God, people, sin is sin. And it needs repentance. Jesus offers mercy and restoration. Paul taught the same perspective in Romans 3.23 when he said, For everyone, Romans 3.23, for everyone. And everyone means everyone because that's what everyone means. It means everyone in this room. It means everyone watching online. You sinner. Me included. Everyone 
has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Even though some of us may not have the same level of sin that another one has. I mean, Paul was a great sinner, wasn't he? He had people murdered. He was a murderer. There were other followers of Jesus which were not murderers, but they were also sinners because we have all sinned by thought, by deed, by lust, by desire. There are some things in my life which I never got to do in my young days, but I desire to do it. If it wasn't by God's grace, I would have fallen into, into drugs, into every negative aspect of rock music, including the sexual aspect of it. And the worst is, I wanted it. It was somehow appealing to me. But I had been brought up in the ways of the Lord. And somehow, the power of God and the word of God kind of held me back. I went up to the edge, but I didn't go over. But does that mean I didn't sin? Of course I sinned. Because I desired, I fantasized, I wanted it. So I was guilty. Just like my friends who actually did it. No difference between us. We both stand guilty before God because all have sinned. And I can't sit here judging my friends who actually did something which I wanted to do and didn't do. It also shows that when you are exposed to the word of God from young, it will hold you back on some things. Not everything, but it will definitely help you to stay, you know, away from some things which could damage your body, damage your health, damage your reputation, whatever. Point is this, everyone has sinned. It reminds us about this. We all fail to reflect the glory of God. We are called clay jars in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. It says, we now have this light, the light of God in us. We now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars. You and I are fragile clay jars. We are not long-lasting, you know, golden jars that will last forever. No, 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 no. Our bodies are clay jars. And in this vessel, we have this beautiful light of God. Clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not ourselves. Anything we've got, anything we can enjoy that is glorious, is from what is inside us. In other words, the light of God in us, not from ourselves. We are frail, brittle containers in which we hold the power of God. Why would God choose such frail containers to hold his light? Perhaps it is so that the beauty of the vessel does not distract us from the importance of what was inside. If our bodies, if our who we are was so beautiful, so strong, so fascinating, Probably nobody would notice what is inside. But we are not. Look at all of us. We are dying, guys. <laughs> we are frail. And we do stupid things. We think stupid things sometimes. What saves us? Us? Our conduct? No. What's inside of us? It's what's inside of us. The cracks, the broken places, the weak areas of our lives, they let God's light shine through. When we come to Him and simply surrender to Him as Lord. No, Lord, she said. Let's surrender. 
Yes, we are all, to an extent or other, weak. Perhaps even broken vessels. Our cracks let the power of Jesus shine through. Our failures allows God's perfection to be seen. Our sins let others see God's redemption poured out upon us. <laughs> when I see somebody coming to Christ and being changed from what they were to what they are, when I see a brother or sister falling into sin but then coming to Jesus and being restored again, it's beautiful. It shows the work of God, His love, His mercy. Look at today's text. We can then conclude the following. God still loves you when you mess up. Does God still love you when I mess up? The answer is yes, He does. God does not condone your messed up acts. If you repent and come to Him, He will forgive you and empower you so that you can go and sin no more. There is no place for us as believers to accuse others as if we were the righteous ones. That is self-righteousness, which is a big sin in itself because it blinds you to the power of God and the mercy of God and hinders you from loving others. We also learn today that acts of kindness go further in helping people recover from sin than accusation and shaming. And sometimes even some in the church today are Great accusers. They're like policemen, accusing everybody. Look, 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 look. No, 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 no. Yes, we cannot turn our uh, blind eye to sin. Sin is sin, and it must be faced and confronted. But an act of kindness, like Jesus showed, goes a long way in restoring people. Much better than accusation and shaming. So, when you mess up, do not, listen, do not run away from Jesus. When you mess up, Run to Jesus. I think it's made it very clear here and in other passages that his arms are always open to sinners, no matter what level. Run to him. Let him strengthen you. You may not have committed adultery, but there may be other sexual sins or other ways, other sins in which you have messed up. Don't delay. Come to Jesus today. God's love is not withheld from sexual sinners. There is mercy and restoration at the feet of Jesus. You may want someone to pray with you and, and reassure you, and, and that is okay. And that's why the church is here. So feel free to contact us during the week, or, or feel free to contact someone that you trust that can pray with you about these things. There is mercy and restoration at the feet of Jesus. Yes, we all have fallen. And fall short of God's glorious standard. But that does not change the fact. This is a fact that he loves us. Again, we sang today about God's reckless love. About the fact that I am a child of God. Let nothing stand between you and that declaration. God's reckless love for you. It was shown here. This was reckless love happening right here. As Jesus took this stance in a culture which was so uh, rigid against this kind of sin. And Jesus took this stance. He changed everything by showing love and mercy instead of judgment and execution.
Our shortcomings do not change God's love for us. So, bottom line, does God love me? If you are sitting over here listening to me, if you are watching online, if you are listening to the recording of this message, if you can hear my voice, then listen. The answer is this. God still loves you. I'm here to tell you today. God still loves you. And if there is any sin, any kind of sin, that you feel is messing you up, right now, go to Jesus. Run to Him. Allow Him to embrace you, to strengthen you, to comfort you, to speak life over you like He spoke life over this woman. Amen? Praise God. Let's stand up and let us pray. Hallelujah. Lord, today we want to thank you for your glorious, amazing love for all of us, sinners of all types. Father, I pray that each one here, each one watching, each one listening, that we will allow, Lord, your love to embrace us. That will have the boldness and courage to run to you, receive your love, but also give us the strength to align our lives to your principles, align our lives to your ways. To put right, my God, what is still not right in our lives. Help us to not feel left out of your love. But to continue to, inside of your love, Lord, to work towards aligning our lives to your standards, your rules. And so this morning, we thank you for your word, Lord. Thank you again for demonstrating to us through this particular situation the greatness of your love and of your mercy. I pray that everyone who has heard this message right now, Lord, will be embraced and empowered by your love, will be drawn to you so as to love you more, serve you more, and obey you more, my God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And now, may the love of God the Father, the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be upon each one of us. As we go into this week, Knowing that, yes, God still loves me. And He helps me. And He empowers me. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Have yourselves a blessed week. Young people, youth, remember, yeah, we have youth meetings on Friday night, 7.30. They've just started doing the Alpha course. So, young people, be here Friday night, 7.30. You're really going to be blessed by that. Amen. Have a great week. See you next Sunday. God bless you.